Who decides medicine prices? How are vaccines made? Do you have questions about the healthcare industry? Welcome to 19 Conversations. Today we're asking Eric Vandenberg, CEO of AM Pharma, how can we keep SMEs in Europe? I'm Sue Saville. Thank you for joining the conversation. Eric, welcome. The very name, small to medium-sized enterprises or SMEs, seems to belie perhaps their importance. In fact, SMEs in the EU make up 99.8% of all the non-financial sector enterprises, two-thirds of the employment there. So as the definition of an SME is important for access to finance and support programmes, could we start with your definition of an SME in this context of this sector? Yeah, sure, absolutely. So I think an SME would be a biotech company that is still private and employs maybe up to 200, 250 people maximally. But typically, the smaller entities employ people in the range of 10 to 30 people. Can you tell us about your own company, AM Pharma? How does it fit into the definition of a European SME in terms of what it does, number of employees, location and so on? Yeah, I think we fit in the definition of SME. So uh, AIM Pharma is a company that is based in Utrecht in the Netherlands, so in Europe, founded actually already in 2001, homegrown from an initial invention from the Groningen University in the 90s, actually. Uh, We employ about 20 employees um, and outsource most of our activities to companies like CROs for clinical studies and preclinical studies and contract manufacturing organizations for the supply of our drug. These activities can take place around the world, uh, but the body of our activities are here in Europe. Uh, all of our employees currently reside here in Utrecht in the Netherlands. Um, you know, 10 out of the 12 countries that we involve in our upcoming phase three study are European countries. So I think that makes us indeed uh, a European SME. Uh, and you mentioned being homegrown then. Uh, d- does that matter that so much of it is based in Europe, even if you have reach elsewhere? Well, I think um, for us, it helps, of course, because uh, the environment is uh, particularly good here, I think, um, especially in the parts of Europe where we are residing, a very internationally oriented uh, company, uh, good access, of course, to uh, support and uh, our broader network, which helps in, you know, the startup and the execution of the phase three study that we're now undertaking, which is in the, the field of kidney diseases, organ injury. Uh, with the main focus on sepsis-associated acute kidney injury. And uh, the phase three study that we enroll will enroll patients up to 1,600 patients around the globe. But as as I said, predominantly in Europe here with 10 countries, close to 100 sites, hospitals that participate in the study. And we're really addressing an unmet medical need um, as there is nothing out there currently uh, to treat these patients uh, other than supportive care, Uh, that is applied regularly in the critical care setting. So SMEs then need support. And as a growth environment for SMEs, Europe, though, has been losing ground to some other economies. So even though Europe invests in higher education and early stage research to help academics and spin-out companies, there's this gap, this financing gap in the later stages, this valley of death, as it's been called. And some companies, when they're trying to scale up, are losing then, relocating to countries, perhaps USA, perhaps China. And this is causing a loss of innovation to Europe. So what, what do SMEs need to have in order to retain them in Europe? 
I think this is really a financing question, more or less. Um, if financing is around and available and talent is around and available, you can keep people and build the companies locally here in Europe. I think clearly science is up to par, which is important for biotech companies, right? We, we are very close to science. We do innovation. And the university that we have here are really at par, of course, with any other universities in the US or anywhere else in the, in the world. So it's really then a matter of having sufficient people with experience to scale, as well as having the funding in place to be able to do that. So those are the two critical elements where we need to focus on in Europe. And if funding is so fundamental, then how can you ensure that you're getting access to the right sources of funding? Do there need to be new sources of funding beyond the traditional ones? Well, I think yes. So the traditional ones, if you think from, say, funding that is available from public sources, tend to be quite complex uh, on a local level per country. Uh, you have local subsidies that are available, or local arrangements that are available. Some of them are very complex, some of them a bit more simple, typically via fiscal stimulation. From the uh, investor side, our funds uh, in Europe are growing that can invest into biotech companies, but it's still not at the level that is available in the US. And certainly say our public markets uh, are not at par uh, as in the US or in Asia, actually, for that matter. So the depth and the breadth of uh, investors, generalist investors, but also specialist investors that invest into public companies uh, in the US is much greater than in Europe. I understand that, in fact, uh, to the factor of five, um, the average US biotech has around five times as much funding as a European counterpart. So how can that gap be, be filled? Do we need to look to other sources, um, perhaps IPOs or arrangements with larger pharma or, or bringing in the family offices, the, the wealth investment and management organisations? Are there other reaches that need to be made? Well, it needs to mature. I think that's, of course, an important part. And then the question is, how can you mature that? So yes, absolutely, from the public the IPO perspective, it would help if there's a broader depth of funding available and if there is a bigger pool of analysts following biotech companies. That would certainly help in, in maturing that part. Um, the number of funds that are available that have sufficient size are rather limited. So if there could be more venture capital funds grow to substantial sizes, that would be very helpful as well. I think from a policy perspective, of course, because this is all market-driven, right? So that's difficult to control. We just need to show success and that there is a good return from investing into biotech companies, which I think is the case. Um, also from a public perspective, there is an interest and there should be an interest in helping uh, this sector to grow because it's one of the key areas where future growth will come from, future innovation will come from, and future solutions uh, for problems that we currently have, unmet medical needs that can be addressed by uh, innovation, uh, developing new products, new medicines that can come to market. So I think if we can focus on two things from, say, a public perspective, uh, it's one, how do we help startups find funding? Because that's a very difficult uh, time uh, to raise capital because there's a lot of unknowns. And it's typically something that uh, the larger investors will stay out of. And the other part is actually on the other side of the spectrum, where you say, okay, I've proven the initial uh, technology, the initial work of the product, for example, in early stage clinical studies. How do we now make sure that these companies that we have created scale so that there is growth funding available 
for example, by co-funding with institutions that we already have uh, so that we can actually keep these companies as private companies or public companies, but at least not being bought by large pharma on the short term. And what have you found to be most effective when you've had success raising money, whether it's an IPO or attracting investors? What have you found has been the most successful tactic? Uh, Why have investors put money into what you're doing? Um, For us, what was important, but I guess that is uh, applicable to all other biotech companies, are a couple of things. So one, of course, you have to address a mathematical need uh, that is clear that you solve a problem that we currently have, uh, that also needs to be a commercial market opportunity, which I think we have, and I can go into details. Also, you have to have a team in place or build on a team that can deliver on the promise that you have, the plan that you have developed. And that sort of thing, so that plan that you have needs to be credible. So a credible development plan and a credible budget on how to execute from A here to B what the investment entails. Now, it's very helpful, of course, to have compelling data. So for example, at AM Pharma, we published our phase two data from the STOP API study involving 300 patients in sepsis-associated acute kidney injury, the the clear and medical need, in JAMA, JAMA being a very good research paper to publish in. And we showed that we significantly reduce mortality with more than 40% relative to patients that receive placebo. So that was considered compelling data. And then lastly, but importantly, is of course, intellectual property. So in the end, uh, we're a company without revenues, without profits. So everything we invest in has to come from new investors uh, buying basically uh, the prospects that we have on profits in the future. And uh, the profit can only be made if you have a proprietary position, uh, which of course, intellectually property will, will provide you. With the investment that you've managed to attract, what sort of level has that been at? Uh, We raised about 250 million euro uh, to date in equity and debt, and that is mainly from European sources. So, for example, we have LSP, Forbion and Gilde as investors from the Netherlands. We have then Andera, Kurma and ID Invest from France, Isios from Spain, Bibi Purius from Switzerland. And we also took in debt from the Dutch government uh, rules that we have in place here, as well as from the European Investment Bank. So then do we have the ideal environment for innovative biopharmaceutical SMEs to to thrive in terms of that IP framework and the regulatory framework here in Europe? Is it it ideal or if not, what's missing? I think the current IP laws as they are in place uh, works fine. Uh, It's workable um, because you get a sufficiently long proprietary position and the patent is, is in principle there for 20 years. Now, it can take maybe up to 10 or longer years to actually develop a drug and get it to market. Uh, so there is a, you know, a limited time frame of actual protection left when you're in the commercial phase. But I think that that works as it is currently. It can be more efficient. For example, you still have to apply for each individual country in Europe, but there is already work in progress to come to some kind of European patent application, which makes it more efficient and cheaper to do what would be, well, detrimental uh, to innovation is, for example, if the period of IP would be shortened, if the laws like that nature would come into place. So I would say not tinker with the system, uh, stay as it is, it's predictable, it has shown that it's, it works to get innovation and new products to market. So let's, uh, let's keep it in place. 
Would you like to see any further role for other European institutions, perhaps the uh, European Investment Bank and its European Investment Fund? Yeah, absolutely. So I think the European Investment Bank is taking already quite a significant role, for example, in investing as a limited partner in venture capital funds. They also take direct stakes or direct loans to companies. Actually, we have experience with that as well as AIM Pharma. So we have a loan with the European Investment Bank because of the area where we're active in, where there's a big medical need in this infectious disease uh, environment. But there's almost never enough money. With more money, you can do more things, more things in parallel. So we have now the infrastructure or starting to get the infrastructure in place to scale with biotech companies in Europe. So it's very important that we continue to support that. Uh, so if the investment, uh, European Investment Bank would have more money uh, put that, uh, into work, into biotech, it certainly can be absorbed by the sector. And what about the wider picture of attracting investors? You've recently signed up with a few other companies to a European biotech social pact. Can you explain what that's about and what you hope to achieve through that? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the social pact is a joint initiative by more than 60 biotech leaders. And, you know, the idea is that we state our commitment to a set of principles that we'd like to live by. And that's transparent, of course, to the public that we have these principles. And what we want to make uh, sure is that patients uh, and the healthcare system can continue to benefit from medical innovations that uh, we as companies develop. Now, we're fully aware, of course, that uh, there is a debate on drug pricing. And maybe even as biotech companies, it's maybe certainly in the earlier phases of your life, it's something at a distance because you're just busy with science and you know, trying to create that science and translate it into the clinic. So that's actually, you show some early benefit for patients. But the reason why we can do this is that we know that if we are successful on this long, risky and expensive route, that there will be a market in the end, uh, that there will be a premium price for innovation of drugs that are taken to market. So our commitment that we would like to state with this uh, social pact is that we'd like to enter into you know, a constructive and a collaborative approach and dialogue with the European authorities to ensure that there is patient access to medical innovation. Um, and if we need to, we can, of course, apply uh, innovative pricing, uh, have value-based arrangements, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's important, and that's hopefully what we state with this, is that we work on creating mutual trust as a basis uh, to come up with solutions that we need. And of course, in these strange times with a pandemic, there have been particular challenges. How have those impacted SMEs? Uh, and perhaps what opportunities has the situation thrown up? Yeah, there has been clearly challenges. So uh, challenges can be from a supply chain perspective, from you know executing clinical studies. Uh, so many clinical studies have been interrupted through COVID-19. Supply chains have been in over-demand of uh, getting more medicines produced to support, especially also uh, treating patients in the hospital in the critical care setting. So that has posed its own challenges. And at the beginning, maybe, for example, investments decisions were postponed, um, investing into biotech companies. But at the same time, what we have seen is that the public markets, for example, the IPO market, has never been as good as it currently is. So the recognition from uh, the public perspective that uh, biotech companies, pharmaceutical development can be a solution to problems. And of course, the current problem, obviously at hand now is now, 
how do we address COVID-19? How can we develop vaccines? How can we develop maybe antiviral agents that are novel or specific for COVID-19 or anti-inflammatory agents to uh, reduce the inflammatory damage that occurs to organs where you have severe COVID-19? Uh, it's also an opportunity, say, from that perspective, to be part of the solution. We have the capacity, we have the tools, we have the science. It's a matter of uh, putting money to work, concentrating on the problem, and then hopefully with that, we will overcome this. And with the perceived threat to SMEs in Europe, the, the pull of money elsewhere, perhaps America, perhaps China, and so on, what would you most like to see that might anchor some of those SMEs in Europe and stop them relocating? Yeah, uh, well, in the pandemic, I guess it was clear that, for example, public money was very limitedly available in Europe, uh, almost absent. So there were local initiatives, uh, but really not at scale. And there was not flexibility in the schedule or in the system to cope with you know, a high response to this COVID-19 threat which, for example, was in place in the US, um, a better organization, how to quickly enable fast amounts of money to invest and collaborate with the industry to see how we can address this. That's on that part. So I think if we have something more effective set up in Europe, we can respond more effective to this as an industry supported with funding from uh, public sources. So that definitely would help, of course, uh, from that perspective. But then in general, so if you think, of how can we keep SMEs in Europe? It's making sure that we can do efficient uh, research here, efficient development, innovation of new molecules, getting them to patients. And there's, of course, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of rules uh, that they also vary per country. So starting up a clinical study you know, easily takes up to a half a year or nine months for getting all clinical study sites activated. That's nine months that we just have to wait and go through all the paperwork uh, to be able to get first patients enrolled. That's a long period. So that, And there are countries that are faster at that, there are countries that are slower at it, and there are different institutes. It's not only country, it's ethical committees, it's local hospitals, local boards, uh, contracting in place. We should be able to do this faster. Also from the EMA perspective, we may be able to help putting certain rules in place, which will allow us to more efficiently develop new uh, pharmaceutical uh, solutions. And that will, in the end, I think, benefit from two ways. We've got faster innovation to market. And in the end, it will cost less. It takes less time and maybe reduces the risk, which then also reduces the pricing later on. So there's a lot of work that we can do to, uh, to improve. Eric, thank you very much indeed for all those insights. My guest today has been Eric Vandenberg, CEO of AM Pharma, and thank you very much for listening to 19 Conversations. If you liked this podcast, please click the subscribe button to be the first to know when we release our next episode, and please leave a rating and a review. Well, until the next episode, we'd invite you to join the conversation on Twitter with the hashtag questions inspire solutions. Bye for now. 